You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14, Blessings for Obedience. As a leader soon to depart, Moses is giving his final discourse before the conquest generation enters the Promised Land under Joshua's leadership. Although he has spoken previously about the blessings of obedience to the covenant God established with them and some of the curses of disobedience, now he exhorts them yet again. And this is similar to Leviticus 26, 1-45, which was addressed to their parents and to this generation when these people were children. Now he says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. So the quality of their life in Canaan would be dependent on their adherence to God's commands. It was conditional. That's why it says if. So this was to be wholehearted obedience. They were to fully obey and carefully follow all his commands. The image is of the blessings falling on them like showers from heaven and accompanying them on their way through life. So the first distinction was esteem above all other nations because God was living in their midst. He said this in chapter 7, verse 6 and 26, 18 and 19. He says this again in verses 9 and 10 and later in 29, 13. So this separation or difference from other nations was that they were a holy people. This overarching blessing was the reason all the individual blessings would come to them. They would know victory, prosperity, respect, abundance, and dominance. So what God was asking of them was reasonable. He had rescued them from slavery and provided for them for 40 years. He loved them and cared for them as his children. He was bringing them into a land flowing with milk and honey. These laws had been given for their good. Anarchy doesn't lend itself to stable society or happy people. We need boundaries. Moses says, You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. This city-country motif relates to anything they set out to do. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house, God blessed him for Joseph's sake. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. We see this. In Psalm 128, 1-4, Blessed are those uh, who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. So children were seen as a blessing, not a curse. Psalm 127, 3-5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. 
like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court i remember one pastor mentioning a quiver had five arrows and he wondered if that implied five children was a good number your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed they would have enough food you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out and this was an idiom for normal activities of everyday life the lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you they will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven so this was a promise of overwhelming military victory picturing the enemy scattering in panic the lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to so this blessing of abundance comes from the god who owns everything later when people were beginning to be stingy with their tithes and offerings god challenged them bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house test me in this says the lord almighty and see if i will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it the lord your god will bless you in the land he is giving you he was bringing them out of slavery to bring them into a good land when he brought them there he would do good to them they would have a land with large flourishing cities you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant the lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the lord your god and walk in obedience to him verses 1 9 and 13 all stress the conditional nature of the blessing god will do this if they obey so why are they singled out for such a distinction then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the lord and they will fear you so other nations would see that they were clearly the people of god because they were not like the other nations from the start israel was to be a megaphone to the world about what god was like this acknowledgement that this powerful god was with them would strike fear into their enemies and we'll see this in jericho so the lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you again he promised abundance and fertility resulting in children livestock and crops the blessing is tied back to his covenant promises given to their ancestors to bless their descendants the lord will open the heavens the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands so this is a reminder of common grace that god gives good things even to his enemies we may think little of rain until we experience drought or until we realize how it is produced and what it produces then we'll appreciate the goodness and power of god that is demonstrated in something we often take for granted job 36 27 31 links god's provision of rain with his governing of the nations and his means of supplying food to the world people often take these things for granted until there is no rain or the crops fail then they cry out to god because they know he is the one who controls all these processes 
There's another idea that weather is kept in storehouses until God takes them out to use as he wishes. In Job 38, 22 and 23, God asks him, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? We will see he will unleash hail on Israel's enemies in Joshua 10:11, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Then you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. It is always better to be a lender than a borrower. It is the position of strength. Likewise, it says, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. So they would be leaders, not followers, internationally. And this was because of their favored status in God's eyes. And this was conditional. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day, and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Then a final admonition not to stray, linking disobedience with idolatry. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Verses 15 to 44, Curses for Disobedience The blessings were given before the curses to show that God's desire and delight is to bless. We should desire to uh, obey to please our Father rather than just to avoid judgment. Since he knew that they would not keep um, the covenant after his death, he emphasized the curses more than the blessings. Now these were not idle threats, since we'd see all of these occur in their future. They are a picture of the horrible consequences of life when God has abandoned them. What's the difference between the blessing, a thing conducive to happiness or welfare, and the curse of God? To curse is not merely to denounce, but to reject. So if the blessings of God brings justification and life, the curse of God brings condemnation and death. Moses will later say, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So what follows is a fearful picture of the cost of disobedience. And these curses affect every aspect of life, Follow them wherever they go, and make normally enjoyable things bitter. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Most of these are the exact opposite of the list of blessings we just read. First, you will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Compare this with verse 3. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed, compare with verse 5. The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, compare with verse 4. You will be cursed when you come in, and cursed when you go out, compare with verse 6. So the culmination of these individual curses will eventually lead to a total rejection of, God, of them by God, leading to exile. The disastrous result would be due to their unfaithfulness to him. 
and this would happen about 800 years after the death of Joshua. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. Uh, this curse will affect their bodies as well, with diseases and fevers. The climate will be affected too, with scorching heat and drought. Their crops would be struck with blight and mildew. When you think of the Irish potato famine, you can see how devastating blight can be. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder, it will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. And this is the opposite due to the blessing of rain in verse 12. Instead of rain, they would have dust. And we see this in the sandstorms in that part of the world. And in Job 12.15, we see God's power over water, either to withhold it in a drought or to send a flood. It says, if he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. So two biblical examples of this are the drought during the time of Elijah in response to his prayers and the global flood of Noah's day in Genesis 6-9. And while the flood in Noah's days was a clear judgment, at other times drought was seen as a judgment from God on sin. He warned them about this in Deuteronomy 11:16 and 17. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens, so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Later in their history, God will say, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. So the Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. So this was opposite of the military victory promised in verse 7. A man of God will tell King Amaziah of Judah, even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to overthrow. But added to this is the revulsion that onlookers will have when they see what has happened to them. The curse of being unburied, and even worse, having their bodies eaten by scavengers, would be especially hard for the Israelites to hear, since burial showed respect for the body. So not only would they die in battle, they would not even have the dignity of a burial. Then, similar to verses 21 and 22, the Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores and the itch from which you cannot be cured. So these were one of the plagues that God sent on Egypt, diseases like the plague of boils that broke out on people and animals in Egypt. 
The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror, a byword and an object of ridicule among the peoples where the Lord will drive you. Moses anticipates a time when Israel will have a king, even though they do not have one now. This exile would occur during the time of the kings, and even he would be taken away. They would be oppressed by this nation that at this point was unknown to them, possibly because it may not have been a world power yet. It was not Egypt, the place of bondage they just left. Nehemiah recalled this in his prayer. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So while they are in exile, they'll continue to worship idols of wood and stone, which led to their exile in the first place. Far from the admiration and respect they were promised in blessing, now they would be ridiculed by their oppressors. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil, because the olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them, because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. So this pictures futility as they try to live normal lives and provide for themselves and their families. But God is sovereign over the success or failure of their crops. Uh, he controls the locust swarms and the worms that destroy their food supply. They reproduce children only to have them taken away from them. The foreigners who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, but you will be the tail. So this this is the opposite of the blessing of verses 1, 12, and 13. Verses 45 to 68, Siege and Exile All these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord um, your God joyfully and gladly in the time of your prosperity. Therefore in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. They need to realize that by their idolatry they have chosen to receive these curses. They will recall the time of prosperity when they should have been serving God, but they will be hungry, thirsty, naked and impoverished, serving their enemies instead of God. They will go from an abundance of everything to being in need of everything. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, 
a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. God would raise up a nation that lived far away from them. Isaiah pictures them being summoned by a whistle. He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come, swiftly and speedily. So they would swoop down on them quickly, overwhelming them. They would not understand their language. Isaiah records, Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. And this was fulfilled first by Assyria and then by Babylon. Both nations were infamous for their cruelty. They will not respect uh, the old or pity the young. Second Chronicles 36.17 says, he brought, them, he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine or olive oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. During a lengthy siege, uh, food runs out quickly. Most of the cities they will inhabit have fortified walls surrounding them. But their invaders, introduced in verse 49, have all the time in the world, so they will either wait them out to starve to death, or they will build siege mounds to climb over the walls, or they will destroy them with catapults. The Assyrians under Sennacherib would seize 46 fortified cities of Judah and Jerusalem. This time of siege is referred to in some versions as desperate straits. Because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children, and he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. It will be all he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities. The most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot, will begrudge the husband she loves, um, her own son or daughter, the afterbirth from her womb and the children she bears. For in her dire need, she intends to eat them secretly because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege in your cities. So the description of the cannibalism that will occur is so horrible, yet Moses speaks of it almost casually, noting that people will be more upset that their family members aren't sharing the food with them. They will hoard it to themselves and eat it in secret. And this will happen during the siege of Samaria. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. The king replied, If the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman said to me, 
Give up your son so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son so we may eat him, but she had hidden him. So this horrible curse is spoken about elsewhere. Moses first warned their parents of this in Leviticus 26.29. And in Jeremiah 19.9, God says, I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh, because their enemies will press the siege so hard against them to destroy them. Later, Jeremiah will lament, Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Uh, should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? And with their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. This uh, will happen again during the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters, and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster, not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. This book of the law was likely referring to the entire Pentateuch, or first five books of Moses, since those diseases were recorded in the book of Exodus. Disobedience leads to hardened hearts that disregarded God. This failure to obey was rooted in failure to appreciate this great God. The phrase, the Lord your God, is mentioned 200, 280 times in the book of Deuteronomy. His name represented his character and actions. After all they had seen, they should have feared this God, but because they will not do it, he will do as he has said and bring on them plagues, disasters, illnesses, diseases, and sickness, even ones not mentioned so far. And the end result will be total destruction as a nation. Only the grace of God will spare a remnant. Um, you who were as numerous as the stars in the sky, Um, will be left but few in number because you did not obey the Lord your God just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number so it will please him to ruin and destroy you you will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess so in contrast to the promise made to Abraham that his descendants would be as innumerable as the stars dust or sand now he would decimate their numbers the reason is given, because you did not obey the Lord your God. He had looked on them with favor and promised to do them good. Now he would turn and be their enemy. It says, it will please him to ruin and destroy you. A terrifying concept. He had promised to plant them in the land. Now they would be uprooted from the land. Then the Lord will scatter you among the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, 
which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, If only it were evening, and in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. So this time of exile will be filled with anxiety, insomnia, dread, suspense, weariness, and despair. Job understood this. He said, When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. And even when he thought he could escape the situation temporarily through sleep, that was not the case. When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions. They would have no rest and no peace of mind. So they will have no rest and no sense of belonging. Like seed in a field, they will be scattered to many nations. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. So although most would go to Assyria and Babylon and Persia, some would be sent back to Egypt, a place God didn't want them to return to. But even there, because of their abandonment by God, they would be despised. They would try to sell themselves to their enemies as slaves, but they would be rejected. No one would want to buy them. When we read these curses, we see they are clearly sent by God in response to their disobedience to his laws. But how would the surrounding nations view them? They would see natural disasters, wars, exile, economic collapse, droughts, locusts, plagues, and all things that happen in the normal world. None of them seemed like a supernatural zap from heaven. Even the Israelites, who were warned so specifically, might not recognize the reason for them. They likely didn't recognize the blessings as gifts coming from God either. But God promised to make them have mental and emotional distress as a result of the curses, and they would never be sure of their life. Scarlet Threads so what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Moses led out, laid out the conditions under which they would be blessed for obedience to the covenant, and many of these blessings were experienced by them during the conquest of Canaan, while some awaited the time of King Solomon, who said, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised, not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. So Moses told them many ways that they would be blessed. A blessing can also be called a beatitude, which is a message of divine favor bestowed on people for a specific action or characteristic. We see this in the eight beatitudes spoken by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. All of our blessings come through Christ and the New Covenant. Moses set before them a choice of a blessing or a curse. We are still faced with this choice individually. They and we are under a curse because of disobedience, but Christ became a curse for us on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, 
for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. So they would experience fear and anxiety in exile. Fear is a result of sin. Love casts out fear. As John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God warned he would judge their idolatry by sending them into a nation where they would practice more idolatry. Sin is its own punishment. Divine wrath abandons unbelievers to themselves, leading to uncleanness, vile affections, and reprobate minds leading to greater sins, which then lead to inevitable consequences. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 29. May God bless the study of his word.